You're listening to the Passion and Perspective podcast with your host, Jonathan Robinson-Lees. Welcome to the latest episode of the Passion and Perspective podcast. Thanks for joining us. In today's episode, we chat with local podcast host and military historian, Adam Bloom. Growing up in the Blue Mountains, Adam has faced and overcome immense challenges. Adam's resilience has given him a new lease on life and he now channels his energy into sharing the powerful stories of Australia's military history through his True Blue History podcast. Today's conversation contains references to mental health issues and suicide. If this is at all triggering for you, please contact Lifeline on 131114 and reach out to your network of family and friends. Adam, welcome to the Passion and Perspective podcast. Thanks, uh, Jono. It's, uh, it's great to be here, mate. I'm absolutely uh, honoured and privileged to come on your, your podcast. Adam, about 18 months ago, you started the True Blue History podcast, where you're interviewing veterans, historians, and, and many people covering from the Boer War all the way to the present day. What started you on that journey, Adam? Uh, so for me, um, how the podcast came about was I always had a um, key interest in military history from uh, my family members who served from the Boer War right up to Korea. And I've got um, cousins who are actually serving in the uh, Air Force. So uh, I always had a, a rich uh, military history in the family. And, and my, my passion for military history started uh, when I was six years old and when my late uh, grandfather passed away. He was a uh, World War II veteran. And uh, he, uh, when he died, he left me his uh, World War II medals. And uh, it started my passion from there getting receiving those medals was I just wanted to know more and more about um, Australia's military history and and I used to which I still do today I, I wear them proudly on Anzac Day and and march in honor of um, my my grandfather my great-grandfather my great uncles uh, so uh, that's that's really how it started and and as the years progressed I went to the centenary of uh, Gallipoli in 2015 for the dawn service, and I um I met him. Uh, he's now a really great friend, uh, Matt McLaughlin. He he runs his own battlefield uh, company called Matt McLaughlin Battlefield Tours, and uh, he. I met him and we became really great mates and, and I actually went on and did the Western Front tour with his company as well when I when I went over in 2015 to do a um, a six-month uh, Kentucky tour and, and um, that was – it was very special and, and I went and saw my great-uncle's graves over there on, on the Somme and uh, it, it just it – just, I was just so – um, drawn to the Anzacs and then I, I came back and just wanted to learn more about my family uh, in the First World War and I started to do that and I stayed in contact with Matt and, and then um, the years went on and I, I went back to um, the Western Front in 2018 for the um, for the centenary of Anzac Day at Villas Bretna and, and uh, then I went again in 2019 and, and I um, Matt started his podcast in late 2017, and and I, I wanted to um, just be a part of his podcast, and and it um, he 
it never happened. And in the end, I, I pulled him aside one day and said, look, Matt, I, I'm going to start my own podcast and uh, I want to talk to veterans and historians. And and that's really how it started, John. I was that I started... Um, I got a few contacts. Uh, Matt was my Matt was my very first guest uh, on the show, and and then um, it just sort of led from there, and and it's just uh, taken off. It's just grown um, and gone strength to strength, and uh, now nearly two years later, it's uh, I, I'm I'm gobsmacked with some of the guests that I've had on on the podcast, and and they're all inspirational people. Like I interviewed a veteran who's got terminal brain cancer, and he's 26, and he, um, you know, he's just an amazing guy. And and just um, like some of the other veterans, I, I spoke to a 95 year old World War II veteran, which was the absolute highlight. It, it's um, that we're losing our World War II veteran at an alarming rate, and um, there's only there's less than 10,000 and still alive today and um to talk to uh him was was just amazing so um that's really where it started mate and that's it's just sort of grown from there and how did you feel adam putting yourself out there the first time that first interview with matt um you know there's other podcasts out there but how did you feel personally putting yourself and the podcast out to the public um it's it's an it's a very good question Jono, because i um it was hard because I didn't uh, I, I didn't have any tra- media training. Uh, I, I'm not a journalist. I uh, I sort of struggled a lot at first, and trying to find my way as a podcaster was really hard. And and uh, trying to find the right balance for me. And and um, so it was hard because I was. I was scared of what people thought and, you know, I thought they would laugh and, and I had a lot of, I did have a lot of uh, backlash with um, my work at the, my workers at the time where I was working, they, they made fun of it and they, um, you know, they made fun of me and, and it was, um, I was questioning whether it was a good idea to go ahead with it. And I'm so glad that I did decide to go with it. And I've learned over the last 18 months that, um, when, whenever I get a, a message of someone, you know, having a go or, or making fun of it, I, I look at it now with a positive mindset and I've got, uh, I look at it with, I, I don't, I don't respond to their comments cause they want to, they want a reaction and, and, uh, they want me to respond to them of, um, and they want to have, they want me to bite back and it's taken a lot of hard work. I did it first. I did bite back at first, but now I just, I understand that there's people out there that will always, um, try and have a go of people who uh, it's tall poppy syndrome. We, people are jealous of what other people are doing and you'll always get criticized for um, being bold and getting out there and having a go. And, and uh, I now, I, I, I don't listen to people that I know I stand, I know what my uh, values are and I know um, the reasons why I do the podcast. And for me now, I've, I've totally um, turned it into a positive spin from a negative spin. So, yeah, it was, it was hard at first. It really was. The documenting of the amazing stories, both from historians and veterans, what are you hoping to achieve by sharing it? What, what do you want the, the audience to take away from, from the True Blue History podcast? So what I want them, to, what I want the Australian public to take away is I want them to be proud of our military history. So I want them to, so one, I want to educate. So I want to educate the next generation coming through because um, 
without without learning our history, we've got no future. So um, we've we've got to educate the younger generations coming through of what their forefathers went through and the struggles and the sacrifices that they um, went through. And and when you, I say it on my podcast all the time when. When you're walking through um, those cemeteries and you and you're seeing only son of Mr. and Mrs. Smith of Ballarat and Victoria, um, like you stand at those headstones and you 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 you're completing a pilgrimage for that family who so, so many families couldn't get over and, and do um, couldn't go and visit their son and it um, it's a real honour and a privilege to do that and to just get across the scale of what um, the cost of what it was to our, our nation and, and um, you know, 102,000 have paid the ultimate um, sacrifice for us to enjoy the freedoms that we enjoy today. And it's, it's, that's one of the messages that I try and get through is to educate and, and be grateful for the freedoms that we enjoy in our country because our country is the most beautiful country in the world. It's, you know, you've, we're so lucky in Australia because we get, um, you know, we've, when we're not at war, we, you know, we, we've, we're so lucky. The opportunities that are, that are given to us are phenomenal. And, and it's so one is to educate, um, two is to um, get veteran stories out and tell veteran stories and and sort of give them a a place of healing where they can where they can speak and and get their get their stories out and and um, it's a place to feel safe um, and there's no judgment there's no judgment at all I um I'm grateful for every single veteran that comes on on the podcast and uh, it's um, number three is it's entertaining so it's um those are the those are the three things is what I, I try and that's why the show's been what it's been built around and and um, why I do what I do you mentioned the healing there for for the veterans has that part surprised you Adam were you expecting veterans to to see your podcast and, and your documentation as a safe space uh at first, uh, John, I know uh, I was. Um, I just wanted to get veteran stories out, and and um, some of the some of the veterans that I've had on have, have reached out, like have spoken to me after we've recorded, and and they've said, "Mate, you've you've got more out of me uh, than I've got with my psych in you know two years." And and uh, I think it's I think it's just my down to earth approach that I I'm just a genuine Aussie guy that just I care I just care for the veterans and and I know with myself I'll, I'll get in I'll get onto it later in the podcast but I um I've suffered my own battles and and um the podcast has really been sort of a healing um tool for me as well and and um at first no but uh now yeah i'm like some of the veterans say to me i haven't even told my wife this story you're getting getting it for the first time and and it's a real honor it's it's a really an honor to to sit down and and talk to a veteran and and you with veterans it's very different to how you speak to historians you've um You've got to be um, compassionate. You've got to be kind, and you've basically just got to listen. So, I, basically, what I do is I I 
I just prompt them with a with a question and, and then I just let them talk. I, I don't um, I, I try and put a little bit in here and there where I can if it's if I can relate to it. Um, but otherwise, I generally just I just sit and listen and I, I just basically just let them let them get it out and um, and it's been yeah it's been a fantastic process for them and and also for me. You mentioned one of the most powerful interviews you've done was with a, a World War II veteran in his 90s. Why was that so impactful for you, do you think? Uh, just because there's so many, like we're losing, as I said, we're losing, um, like there's less than 10,000 World War II veterans left and, and they're, they're really the last of the generations that, and, and I, I had a guy, it was very, it was controversial when I brought it up in his podcast that they they were they were different men. They were different men and women of those times, and and they they put up with things that we just as a younger generation. I don't think we we can or could do what they did, and and I think it's just so special to have the World War Two veterans come on, and and really you're recording the lot. Like there's only so when I had Dave on. Uh, he he's one of only two of his battalion left. So when his battalion, he had a thousand men in his battalion during the war, and there's only two of them left. And and as he said to me when we recorded the podcast, he said, "If I don't talk and I don't speak," he said, "We're losing what um, the last of, of the generation of my battalion and what we went through." And and that's why it was so. That was why it was so important to get him on and talk to him. And and because really, that's we're losing that generation so quickly that it's important that we record their memories. And and um, you know, he was ninety five, and he 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 had a memory of like a, a seven year old. It was amazing. Like he just he could just remember everything he did um, during, you know, fighting in the Pacific in the Second World War. And it was just, yeah, that, that's, that's why it was so special to me. And, and, but every guest that I have on is, is special. The historians, all the veterans, they're, they're all important and they, they really, they all make up the show. Do you think as well with the, the World War II veterans, there's a bit more probably a personal connection for our generation, Adam, where a majority of people, either their grandparents or their grandparents' siblings, took part in World War Two in some way, shape, or form. So, do you think that forms part of, for us, the importance of sharing those stories? Is because there is a bit more of a closer connection. I think so. Yeah, I think uh, like more, nearly a million uh, men and women served during the Second World War. So uh, you've you've got a like as you say, Jono, you like uh, most people I know, their grandfather or their grandmother fought during World War Two, and and um, so I think you're right. I think it does touch across generations, and and um, you. You're very, we're very lucky that um, like you speak to a lot of these veterans and, and, and also to today, the, the, the modern day veteran, um, you know, it's just as important that we tell their stories just as, as, as we do our, our aunt, like our grandfathers and our, and our grandmothers. And, and also, um, you know, I, I, I wish I had I had the opportunity to talk to some of the World War One veterans, but unfortunately, I was I was too young when the last World War One veterans died. So uh, I, I feel it's so important that we do talk to these World War Two vets because, as I said, they're 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 going at an alarming rate. So um, and like you said as well, 
a lot of a lot of families in Australia and, and right around New Zealand, also um, right around the world, have had someone serve in the military. So that's why I think it is important. For you, Adam, as well, being as you said on the Western Front twice, going to Gallipoli. What were those moments like? How profound were they for you to be on the, the place that we hear so much about growing up? But for you, you've got a particular passion. You know, to learn about the area. What was what was that like for you? Uh, amazing. Uh, I, I it's it's hard to put it into words, Jono, because I uh, it's very spiritual, uh, very moving. Um, I remember in 2015 when I was at um, when I was at the Neck, um, and we've all heard the story of the Neck, where the charge of the light horse and uh, 234 men were killed in in 15 minutes. And um, it's I actually physically felt sick there. I, I physically felt sick because um, John, our passion of yours and mine is cricket, and and we met through cricket and. Um, the the distance between the Turkish trenches and the um, Australian trenches, the Anzac trenches, was uh, the size of a cricket pitch. So twenty two yards. That was that was all it was. So and um, the the Anzacs didn't get. So you stand in the trench, and then there's a where the there's a there's a hedge is as far as the Anzacs got, and that was five. That was five steps out of the trench, so that was as far as anyone got, and and it was um it was an attack that never should have it never should have happened it never should have gone ahead and it was it was physically for me I my guts were twisted and turning and and um yeah because you know you know what's gone on there and and you're walking you're virtually walking on a mass grave really you're you're walking on a mass grave and it's um. I've I've had a very similar um, experience on the Western Front as well, um, walking up Dead Man's uh, Ridge and Dead Man's Road up to Pozieres. And Pozieres, for anyone who listens to you, Jono, is that's our most sacred. Um, like, there's twenty three thousand casualties in six weeks of fighting. It's our um, there's more Australian um, blood soaked on that land than any other place in the world. And and um, so twenty three thousand casualties in six weeks of fighting. And and um, so walking up through Pozieres and walking up through the village, it's um, it's a very special place. And and I um. It's it's a pilgrimage. When you when you go to the battlefields, it's a pilgrimage. You you are completing a pilgrimage for all the families who uh, never got to get over and see their you know their sons who were lost. And and um, when you walk through the cemeteries and and you see the true scale of the headstones and like some of the cemeteries that you can walk. Um, you can be in there for for days, and you you won't even you won't even touch the the surface of how many headstones are there. There's a there's a particular cemetery. It's the biggest Commonwealth cemetery in the world. It's um it's Tynecott Cemetery in in Belgium, and and it's um it's got eleven eleven thousand nine hundred and I think it's uh fifty eight uh it's close to twelve thousand um burials uh, out of like Commonwealth burials there. It's um and it's a uh, it's you just you just walk through there and you just the scale you just can't you just can't fathom the scale it's it's just a it's an amazing place to and i say it to anyone that when we can travel again um 
you have to go over and, and see these sites. They, um, you know, I'm, I'm lucky. I'm, I'm going back over again next year to do a, a another, um, I'm doing another three weeks over on the battlefields and, and it's, um, it's important. And, and for me, it's important. It was important in my personal growth too, because, um, standing at cemetery, uh, like standing in the cemeteries, there was a headstone that I, I stood at, at, um, when I was 22 and, um, I'd passed a, a row of of, um, of headstones that were – it was a generation from 15 to 25 all in a row. And uh, it um, – I, I just happened to stop at this grave. It was, it was just – I just stopped. I, and I, I don't know – I don't know what it was. I, I just happened to stop. And the age this guy was, was he was 22. And it was the age I was 100 years – a hundred years before and, and, um, and it, it, I burst into tears and my dad and, and, um, the whole group came over and said, are you okay? And I said, no, I'm, I'm not actually look at this. There's a generation from 15 to 25 and I'm, you know, I, I tried to the year before I tried to, um, commit suicide and, and, um, and it was just a pivotal moment because I look and he volunteered to go to to go and fight um, in a war twelve thousand miles away and and he you know he's twenty two and and he died and with him died any future that he you know he he might have you know what he would have achieved with his hands what he whether he would have had a family um, and it was a really pivotal moment for me because I looked at it and went. Um, like, you know, I tried to end my life the year before and, and he didn't have a choice. He probably wanted to live a lot, a lot longer of a life and um, he went on the grand adventure and, and um, you know, he died 12,000 miles from, from home and, and um, in a foreign country. And, and it really just, that was a really pivotal moment for me. You mentioned there, obviously, the hugely profound impact that that had on you and, you know, the path that your life has taken. What's one thing do you think the podcast and, and war history has taught you as a person? Uh, it's taught me uh, a lot about um, resi- like resilience and um, especially talking to veterans and, and um, what they've gone through with their PTSD. And, and um, I, I relate to a lot of veterans because I've suffered depression and anxiety and, and I've had um, my suicide attempt and, and uh I guess for me, it's it's resilience and that just every life matters. Every human life um, matters. Like no matter from talking to a historian um, about the 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 history of the battle and and the losses, and and then talking to veterans who have lost mates in combat, and you know in in Somalia, Iraq, Afghanistan, um, East Timor, you know all these all these um, modern day battles that we know and, and especially, um, especially Afghanistan, you know, we lost 40, 40, 41 killed. And it, um, it's, you, you can relate to some of the, you can really relate to some of these guys. And, and I had a, a pivotal moment um, a couple of years ago, cause I'm a, I'm a deputy captain at um, my local fire brigade um, in the RFS at Hazelbrook. And um when the when the two boys were killed um, at um, during the season, it um, it had a profound effect on me, and, and it um, I didn't stop to I I sort of because we we were all out 
you know, defending the community and, and um, doing what we do. And, and um, it really made us all stop and, um, and really assess what, um, what happened with those two boys. And, and it was a, for me, I've just, I've just realized that um, through the podcast that um, it's a, um, that you've life's short. And um, you've got to make every moment count, and um, try and live a fulfilled life, and um, try and try and um, you know make impact, and and uh, try and help as many people as you can. So really, the podcast for me, what I've learned is just getting stories out there, and just you know, it's getting the nice messages from people to say, mate, thanks for the podcast. It was fantastic. You know, like you you really did a, a great job on on the podcast, and um, thanks, I really related to that or you know i was down and um you know it's it's just yeah things like that that really for me that's that's what the podcast is all about this is the passion and perspective podcast brought to you by sporting chance media adam you grew up in the blue mountains uh, in hazelbrook what was your childhood like uh, it was actually it was pretty pretty um, normal uh, childhood, Jono. So um, I was um, so I grew up with my brother um, and my mum and dad in, in Hazelbrook and um, pretty standard. Um, built dirt jumps, um, played sport, played soccer, um, played uh, cricket. So um, yeah, it was a it was pretty um, normal childhood, but. Um, I was I was diagnosed with um, ADD um, with learning difficulties at, at six years old and and it was um, it was a hard childhood it, um, it I was bullied a lot and made fun of because um, I um, I with the ADD and the learning difficulties it, it made um, it made it very hard and challenging um, especially um, in the classroom I was challenged a lot and um, made fun of and and I'd I'd, I put on I'm a big build of a person and and um I um put on weight through through primary school and and into high school and and um so pretty much my childhood was um it was it was a tough childhood but it um I I look looking back on it now and and I um I said this to my mentor who I'm working with at the moment which we'll get into later on in the podcast um I I said to my mentor I had to go through these hard times to um, have the good times and and the last two years have been um, the best two years of my life and um, it's um, yeah it's it's been a long road to get to here but I needed to go through um, those tough times as a child to come out the other side and where I am today and I'm just grateful for life now I'm just so grateful for what I've got and what I've achieved and what I'm going to achieve so yeah it's it's, it's been a it's been a big journey during those challenging times in your childhood as you said the, the bullying in the schoolyard where, where did you find the solace and the peace you mentioned you were outdoors with your brother playing sports was that your escape because as we all know, the schoolyard and the classroom can be a cruel place. Where did you seek out that quiet space where you could be yourself and you could be just really happy? Uh, it was actually um, it was on the sporting. It was on the sporting um, field, so it was soccer, um, and and I was 
like I had to work basically John I've had to work hard for everything I've got and and I, I'm a true believer in um, nothing comes easy you've got to work at everything you everything you've got and um, and my parents instilled in me hard work from a young age and and um, it um, it was a for me it was soccer and cricket and um, I just to be part of you know a, a team and, and putting in for the team and and um, you know whether it was you know on the cricket field or scoring runs or taking wickets or you know just being being a good fielder or just 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 part of being the team and, and I could always turn to my my cricket mates or I could turn to my soccer soccer mates and even when times were were tough I'd, I'd find solace in that or or I'd find solace in um in um speaking to my late nan my late nan was um she was really she really inspired me to um she was really the person I turned to a lot when I was in my younger years and um whenever I was down my nan she just had a special way to um make you feel comfortable and, and make you feel um, that you were valued. And, and um, I remember once I said to Nan, oh, I'm getting made fun of Nan and, and um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm stupid. They call the kids at school call me stupid, dumb, you know, slow. And she said, Adam, you're not slow. You're not stupid. You're my special boy, and um, and she said it's it's okay not to learn, not to pick things up as quick as other people, and and um, she said to me, my boy, you are going, you are destined for greatness. You are destined to um, do amazing things on this earth. You you are you were put on this earth to do impact and and do a lot and change a lot of lives, and and um, yeah, she she was really Jono for me. That was really my my go to person. My mom and dad were as well, but my nan was that special person that just um, inspired me to be um, who I am today. And and the life lessons she taught me in my early years have set me on a path for who I am today. And and I'm forever grateful for what my nan instilled in me was you know the values she taught me. Um, I'm forever grateful. When you look back, obviously, fondly on those times with your nan, what is it about her that you want to carry through? Is there a particular trait, a particular way of, of living that really resonated with you? She, my nan was, so she, her childhood was, um, her, she had a very troubled um, childhood and, and she was never shown love um, from her parents. And um, she, um, reading her diary um, before she died, um, it just, it, it made me cry. And, and, um, and it was, um, she, she just, she just smothered you with love. Like she, she didn't have love given to her. She wasn't shown love. And um she just she just had a way that she just make you feel safe and she just um she just was just that type of lady that she won she won premier's awards for she had breast cancer she um she had a breast cut off um and she um she worked with it she was um seek to help like um the cancer council um asked her to help um help them and she won premier's award she was she was a nurse um she was a matron of a hospital um she 
she was just a lady that just gave so much and and she was a she just in she just instilled in me that the community spirit of you know giving giving to others and and the giving more than um giving more than you receive and and um uh, like not not expecting anything in return just just giving um for the sake of giving and and um she just had a way that she just made everyone feel safe and just um no matter what your problem was she was just that lady that was just um you know she just made it she just made you feel made you feel comfortable um and just believe in yourself when when at that time i didn't believe in myself and she um she died of emphysema and when i was 12 years old and and for me that was a pivotal moment um Jono, where i I, um, yeah, it was a really tough time in my life because, um, I was in year seven, um, and, um, it was just, it was really hard. It was, I was so close to her and I actually got up at, at her funeral and, and gave the eulogy, um, for the, for all the grandkids because she was just that lady that you, um, you had to do that. Like she was, um, and none of the other grandkids wanted to do it. And, and I couldn't pass, um, the opportunity up to speak. I, I, it was the first time I really believed, Jono, that, that my nan was calling me to, um, like she's with me every day. I, I, I believe this. She's on my left shoulder. She's my guardian angel. She, she's with me. I feel her presence every single day. Um, and she, um, she was, um, calling me to come and speak at her funeral and and for a 12 year old kid Jono that's 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 a confronting thing dealing with grief and getting up and and talking in front of you know so many people about you know my late nan um I it's the first time I'd say I've, I've been courageous in in um in my life um it's yeah I, I know courageous is a it's a very big word but it's um it's the first time I'd say I was courageous to to stand up and and give the eulogy at, at her funeral but yeah Nen Nen was that person that just made me believe in myself with that motivation and that drive Adam you went on to complete year 12 in your high school certificate and overcome a lot of doubters. Why was that such a monumental achievement for you? Well, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, Jono, because um, my year six teacher, when I, when I was leaving um, year six um, and I, it's a really pivotal moment of, of my story and, and really um, I'm a determined little bugger um, and I'm still a determined little bugger today where um, he, he said I'd never achieve anything. Uh, he said I would, um, I'd never accomplish anything in life. I'd never accomplish um, my school certificate. I'd never accomplish my high school certificate. Um, I'd never, I'd never accomplish a good job. Um, I'd never accomplish anything in life. Never, never get a house, nothing. He was just a, he was a real, um, yeah, he, he just, he never liked me and he never understood how to teach me. And, and, um, I had that right through my right through my schooling years. Was the teachers never, they never, they never worked with me at all um, to really help me understand, um, you know, learning and and um, they just focus on the kids who who got it. And um, it, I look at it now, and and I, I really think that the kids who get it now 
should be left to they if they understand it they're obviously at a level where they they understand it they're, they're processing it they can do it i really believe teachers should be working with the kids who are struggling and um, more emphasis needs to be put on that because uh i i never had that i never had um, teachers helping me it was it was always I had to try and do it myself and the extra help from my parents I, I'm I'm grateful for my parents every day they they put in for me they gave me so much extra help with um, you know tutoring and and um, you know they they were paying a mortgage they you know they money was my, my parents you know a, a middle class you know middle class they there wasn't a lot of money to spare and and um, you know I'm forever grateful my parents could have um, could have just put up with how I was and never, never got me the extra help to, to help me to, to go on to, to greater things later on in life. And the, the biggest thing that I will, I will thank my parents for is an education. They, they gave me a chance in life because without an education, you've got nothing. You can't, you know, you know yourself, Jono, you can't, you can't do anything in life without an education. If you can't read or write or multiply, Really, you, you don't really have much prospect. The only prospect is to go down a life of crime and, and you know, no one really, you know, you, no one wins in crime. You, you, crime doesn't pay. And, and um, you know, I, I'm forever grateful that my parents gave me, um, you know, they, they put the time and the effort into um, to give me an education. And, and um, for me, the pivotal moment was, um, was, yeah, when that year six teacher said I wouldn't achieve anything, well, um, I got the just rewards on him um, when, I, when, I, when I achieved my HSC. I, I went back um, to, the, to the school after I'd achieved my HSC and he was giving a talk to his year six children that were about to go on to high school. And I walked in and I said, don't listen to him. I said, he, this teacher knows nothing. And, and it was a real, it was, it was me. It was a, you know, it was showing a bit of, um, you know, a bit of cheek to, to an old teacher, Jono, but um, I walked in and I said, see this. And he said, he knew who I was. He knew exactly who I was when I walked back in and, and, um, and I said, kids, don't listen to him. I said, he was the one that told me that I'd never accomplish anything in life. And I said, see this, this is my HSC. So kids, um, a lesson I want you to learn from this is if someone tells you you can't do something, um, prove them wrong and find a way and find a way to overcome the obstacle, overcome the barrier and find a way to break through and, and, um, and find a way to accomplish your goal. And, and I'm, a massive, I'm a massive believer in goal setting now, Jono, I'm, I'm so set. Goal setting should be taught to kids in school. It, it's, um, it's so important to, to set goals and, and um, you know, it's, um, and, and have purpose and, and have a purpose in life because um, if you don't have a purpose, you're really, um, you're, just sort of, you're just sort of floating through life. You're not really, you're not challenging yourself. You're not going out of your comfort zone. So for me, getting my HSC was the biggest achievement that I've ever, I've ever done. And, and, um, you know, it's, it's really the first time I, I faced challenges was that HSC because, um, you know, I wasn't the smartest kid and I'm, you know, I'm still not the smartest adult today. I, I just work hard at, at what, for everything I've got, I've worked hard for and, um, I achieved sixties and seventies and everything. So for me, that was, that was a pivotal moment. That was the first really pivotal moment, um, of my young adult life of, um, setting, setting a goal and, and achieving and achieving that first goal. Adam, 
after school, you know, sadly, the, the bullying kind of continued in, into the workplace. Um, and as you alluded to, you know, it led to depression and anxiety. And you, you took yourself to the precipice, both literally and metaphorically, with, with an attempted suicide. What was the what was the lead up to that point? Do you think was it was it a, a short spiral that you alluded to, or was it was it quite a long build up? Do you feel? Uh, it was a long build up, Jono. So it um it was a um it was a very long build up. I um so uh when I when I when I went and saw my um psychologist and and worked through my um worked through the problems after after I attempted suicide um it was really a, a build up right through um from primary school right up to um my adult life and my work life and um it um as I found out later um, I started to believe the story that uh, I started to believe the story that I was being told from these people of you know that I was dumb, I was stupid, um, I didn't um, you know I I wouldn't achieve anything and and um, and I just started to believe that story and and um, I had a pivotal moment with a with a boss um, that led to my suicide attempt. Um, he he pushed me to that point of um, I was already fragile and and um, he he was just a boss that was just um, he he expected um, like he and I'll say it, um, John. He he pushed his own son into a mental into a mental institution. He he was just an old type of bloke that no matter what you did, it wasn't good enough and um, he he just pushed me to that point where I um I just couldn't come back and um and I just decided that the world would be a better place without me in it and um I was 22 I remember the day um I remember exactly the day um it's as clear as day um finished work the boss had been at me um and I just drove up and um I just drove up to a cliff and um, I, I actually um, was about to throw myself off and um, there was a voice in my head uh, from my nan that actually she saved my life. She, um, she said stop and as I was about to throw myself off that cliff, um, she she said pick up the phone and and call a friend and and I did I um I called that friend he's he's no longer a friend um he went off on a different direction and I I um you know I don't I don't blame him he was people people come into your life for um at all uh, all times of you know um all different points of of your life and um he was there at that pivotal moment when um when I was there on top of the cliff and um about to throw myself off and he um he talked me down for four hours um he and spoke to me on the phone and and um and talked me down and he um he rang my mum the next day and and um yeah i got i was booked into the doctors that day and um yeah i ended up um i was i was diagnosed with severe depression and severe anxiety so um yeah it just it was a basically a whole lead up from my early childhood right up to my early um adolescence and work life that um yeah it was just at a very low point in my in my life and i um i just wanted to end it all i just had enough it was um yeah that was that was where i, I got to that point of um you know and i just um i'd had enough and i um i honestly thought the world would be a better place without me in it
Adam, firstly, thank you for, for sharing your vulnerabilities in the story because like we both know, the, the more people that I guess can relate to those struggles, I think, you know, hopefully that leads to, to one less life lost. We, we hear a lot about, you know, the messaging is, is to reach out, is to, it ain't weak to speak, to talk to people. Obviously, that's hugely important. But, but what, what do you feel now that you've hit rock bottom at that point? What do you think would have made the biggest difference? If someone had, had come to you two weeks before, what, what, what's a key message you think we should be really driving home? Because you've lived and breathed it. For, for a lot of us, you know, thankfully, I guess we haven't been through that. What would you say to someone either who is struggling or who should be reaching out? What should, what should we be doing? Um, I think what it is, Jono, is just checking in, just checking in on your family, your friends. Um, at that point, I was very isolated. I, I didn't, um, you know, and, and I put on a facade for so long that, you know, I was this happy-go-lucky guy and, you know, I I, um, I struggled with my weight and, and um, I just put on this facade of, you know, that I was, you know, I was this great guy and, and you know, I... I was a person that, you know, I was happy with life and I was, I was, I was acting like a goose and I just felt really alone. And, and I didn't, um, I guess what led to it was I, I didn't know, I was still trying to work out who I was and, and, um, and where I fitted in, in society. And, and um, I think the biggest message and thing that I take out and anyone I talk to now from my struggles um is that you need to check in. You need to check in on your family. You need to check in on your mates, and but truly check in on them. Like not just not just hey mate, how you going? Um, really, really actually say hey mate. You know, I'd love to catch up. Let's go and have a beer, or you know, let's um let's let's talk. Like you know, let's um let's get together and have a barbie, or or do um. I feel that now, and especially when COVID hit that we're all isolated again and, and, you know, we're all at home and stuck at home. And, and um, I, I made it a, I made it a key point to really check in on, on my family and my friends during, during lockdown. And, and, um, and a lot of them said to me, thank you. You know, it's, it's great to hear from you. And, you know, it's um, thank you for checking. And I did that Jono every week. I, I checked in every single week and, and I made it a, I made it a, um, I made it a ritual that I was going to check in on all the people that are important to me um, every single and I've continued that now. I, I still check in on um, all my friends um, and my family. I ring my, I ring my parents every day now um, and I check in on them every day. Um, my mates, I check in on uh, once a week. So um, basically at that time I was isolated and I'd say to anyone who is struggling, um, it's not weak to speak. Never think it is weak to speak. I I wouldn't be here today, Chano, if I did not ask for help. I And I truly... I I tell you that now, and I I would be dead. I would I would not be here. I would be, um, and I can say it to anyone um, that life gets better. It really does when you when you seek help and when you when you find the triggering things and you put strategies in place and you you get around the right the right people who are there who genuinely care for you and genuinely care for your well being. Life just life is amazing. Like I've, you know, my life um, since getting help has it's just it's flourished. It's just really flourished, and um, you know, it's um, it'll lead into 
you know, I'll, I'll, I'll lead into a later part again of where I had another, um, another near death experience, uh, later on, um, when we get into it, but yeah, for, my life has really flourished and, and, um, I, I'm just so lucky. I'm so lucky with, with my life and I'm just so grateful for life now. And, and that's what the message I'd say, Jono, is if you are struggling, reach out. It's not weak to speak. We need to break this stigma of, um, around that, you know, I'm a man, I don't speak. And that's, that's crap. That's, it's just crap. And it's just, um, we lose too many good people, um, each year. Um, you know, we're losing at the moment, um, youth suicide rates at the moment, John, are 13.8%. Oh, that's just, that's alarming. It's just so alarming. And, and, um, I, I just, I just want to, I just want to tell people that, you know, um, reach out and, and lie and my phone is always on. You can always get in contact with me. I'm, I'm, I'm a massive supporter in people that, you know, getting them through to that next stage and then, um, flourishing with their life. And, and, um, you know, as I said, I wouldn't be here today if I hadn't have reached out and got help. You referenced the, the facade earlier, Adam, and I reflect on our early twenties. You know, I'd see you at cricket, I'd see you at the pub and, and you were, you were the jovial, happy, you know, life of the event type of guy. And, you know, for me, reflecting on it now, I had no idea of, of those struggles. How hard was that for you to put on a front, to put on kind of a brave face in front of people? And, you know, what, what some would say, and I'll use inverted commas here, is, is to kind of to tough it out. How hard was that for you? Um, very hard, mate, because... Um it wasn't, it wasn't me. It, um, it, it wasn't, um, it wasn't the true me. And, and I'd, um, you know, on the outside, I, I looked like this, um, happy go lucky guy, but on the inside I was screaming and, um, the inside of me was, um, you know, I'd, I'd put the facade on, on the outside and, you know, when I was around people, but, um, when I was, um, when I was away from, um, people, I was, um, very lonely, uh, very scared. Um, some days I wouldn't want to get out of bed. Uh, I'd, um, I would like, there'd be days there, Jono, where I, um, I didn't, um, I just didn't want to lift my head off the pillow because the, the house was the, um, the house was a safe haven. And, um, and I, um, I just didn't have to, I just didn't have the, I just couldn't face the world. And, and, um, it was hard. It was, it was a really hard, um, struggle right up. Um, I'd say really in the last two years, Jono, I've, um, I've really worked out who I am as a person and, and I'm 29 now and, and, um, it's taken, um, seven years to, to work out who I am and, and, um, you know, the person I am today is the person I want to be going forward. And, and, um, I, yeah, it was hard. It was, a, it was a struggle and, um, yeah, I, um, it's been a lot of, um, mental, mental work's been done and hard work's been done with my psychologist and, um, strep putting strategies in place to, um, to get to where I am now and, and the person I am going forward. This is the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media. You're, you're in a position now, Adam, where you're able to talk about what is a very traumatic and profound experience. Um, and, and again, one we hope that not 
you know, not too many people should go through, but we, unfortunately people do. What, what are you hoping to achieve by, by, by sharing your very personal story? What do you want to see happen? I, with that, John, I, I just want to inspire young kids um, who have, who have suffered like I, you know, who are suffering like I have with bullying, ADD, learning difficulties. And I should, it's a good time to mention it. Um, at 27, I was diagnosed with what's called binocular vision. So a part of my brain never developed as a kid. So, um, so theoretically, I shouldn't be able to read. I shouldn't be able to write. I shouldn't be able to drive a car. I should be on a disability pension um, because I only see half a picture. I don't see a full picture. And um, learning this at 27, um, it made a lot of sense um, with um, – so my hand-eye hand, hand eye coordination struggled a bit and I had to work on it through cricket and and, um, and a lot of um, – you know, I struggled with my hands and, and – um, and uh, taking levels at work and that sort of thing. And, and um, I spoke to the specialist and um, when, I was, um, when I was 27, I, I said to him, well, um, is there anything we can do? And he said, no, there's not. Um, you, um, you're, you're too old now. Um, if we had got onto this when you were four, um, four to 12 is the age, the critical age that they could have done things to develop um, that part of my brain. But um, at 27, it's too late. So um, I, I had to learn other ways at, at doing things and overcoming things. And, and um, you know, like um, being, a, being a deputy captain um, down at the fire brigade, like um, map reading. Um, I shouldn't be able to do that. I, I struggle. I do struggle with it, but I, I, I know it enough to get by and, and, you know, get myself by, um, reading. I'm not the greatest reader, um, writing, my writing's not that great, but I, I persevere and push myself each day to, I just try and read for an hour each day. And I just try and read um, and just go, right, we're going to read for an hour. And, um, and each day I just, try and do that and set little goals and so yeah for me it's it was hard mate it, it was really really hard and and um i guess for any any future generations coming through um i just want to help young kids um that are that are feeling the way that i felt when i attempted my suicide and um and also um you know if i can if i can just save one life um i've i've achieved i've achieved my mission um and what this the purpose that i was put on this earth and and um i told you before we started the podcast i um you know my my big goal now in life is to um and it's a big goal it's to eradicate um youth suicide uh, youth suicide right around the world and and whether or not Jono that I, I do it or at the end of my life it's passing on the baton so it's it's setting up the foundations to then pass on the baton and and what I want to do is I want to go into schools and and teach kids how to be, how to build resilience because my whole my whole story is is a story of resilience it's it's overcoming the odds and it's um you know there'd, there'd be people that would um that would have given up and and i i'm just a person that's a fighter that will you know i i just i just try keep defying the odds and and um 
And I, I'm and I'm not no one special, Jono. I'm just an ordinary guy that you know goes about. You know, um, I'm just a humble person that you know. I've I've got a story. It's it, I'm I'm not special. I've just I've got a story. It's a unique story, and um, I can if I can try and help one person, well, I've achieved my mission. And and um, yeah. So going into the schools and and setting up programs with with um, veterans and myself talking and setting up from seven to twelve. Um, how to build resilience, how to how to have a positive mindset, and how to set um, goals, and and um, you know how to how to virtually teach them skills for life and life lessons, and through my lived experiences, and then uh, working with eighteen to twenty five year olds, and um, yeah, talking, sharing my experience and my story, and obviously with veterans. So yeah, that's that's what it that's what it comes down to is just just trying to um, inspire kids to go, hey. I'm like you, you know, I was like you and, and I, um, you know, if you can do what you've done, well, I can, I can do it as well. So yeah, that's, that's sort of, um, sort of where, where I'm, where I want to go with my, with what I want to do for the rest of my life. And do you consider what trajectory your life might've gone on? If someone had come to you at high school and had that same conversation that you're going to be having with the youth around resilience and goal setting, do you consider what trajectory your life might have taken? Um, it's a good question. Uh, I, um, I think, uh, I think I've I've had to go through what I've had to experience, Jono, to um, to be. Uh, I've had to experience what I've gone through in my my short twenty nine years, um, because it's made me the person I am today. And um, and I um, if if you had asked me that when I was 18, um, I don't think I would have had the skills or the, or the life skills to, um, to do what I, what I want to do going forward. And, and I don't, um, and I don't think that I, um, yeah, don't, I've, I've matured a lot over the last, um, since I was 18. So the last 11 years since I left high school, um, I've really grown up a lot and especially in the last, I'd say the last two years, I've really matured a lot. Um, and you know, and I, a friend of mine who I've grown up with, um, since I was, since I was, uh, I've known him since I was four years old. Uh, he, he said to me the other day, he said, you're, um, the way you speak now, you speak with purpose, you speak with um, authority, you, um, you're very, you're sure of yourself. And um, yeah, I think, I think if I hadn't have gone through and experienced what I've experienced in the last 11 years, um, I don't think so, John. I don't think I would have, um, I don't think I, I don't think I would have, um, I don't think I would have been able to um, res- like be with, um, like on the same level as the kids who are going through what, what they're going through in high school. And, and um, yeah, I just, I, I don't, I think the struggles that I've gone through has really helped shape who I am and building my resilience. So yeah, I, I don't think so. No, I don't think I would have, um, if someone had said that at 18, I don't think I would have. You referenced the experiences there and, you know, a couple of years ago, there was another frightening moment for you. Um, a health scare. What what happened there, Adam? Uh, so I so I was still working with my psychologist, and um, 
I was, I, I, so I was still unhappy. Um, I blew out to 156 kilos and, um, and I, I didn't like, John, I knew I was big, but I, I didn't, um, I didn't know that I was that big and, um, and I was unhappy. Um, and I was working with a PT and I was really, I was eating well, wasn't really getting anywhere. And, um, I, I went and saw my doctor and I said, look, I, I'm trying everything and, and I'm not some, you know, nothing's happening. And, um, she said, well, why don't we look going down the option of gastric sleeve surgery? And, um, and I, um, I'd never thought of it before. And, and, um, I thought, yeah, okay, all right, I'll, I'll go and see the surgeon. And, um, and he, he did my blood tests and, and, um, he, um, called me into his office and he said, Adam, I need to talk to you about your results. And I said, okay, yeah, no, no worries. And, um, so I went into his office and, um, he said, mate, uh, your blood sugar levels at 35 and a normal sugar level, uh, Jono is between five and seven. So I was at 35 and, um, at, at, at that time I was, my, my insulin levels were just keeping up um to what i um so to the weight that i had and and i just felt unhappy in myself and and um sluggish and and um i wasn't in a good place and um he said mate if you um if you don't do something about your weight you'll be dead by 34 and um i sort of i'd i'd had the death um so i'd had the near death or the attempted suicide at 22 and um, this was the second, this was the second near death experience that I, um, you know, if I kept going the way I was going, I would be dead. You know, I was 27, I'd be dead in nine years. And, um, and so I, I took the, I, I walked out of there feeling like basically a sack of shit. Really. I, I felt, I felt terrible. Um, and I, I looked at my life and I, um, it was really the second moment of my life where I looked and said, well, what are you doing with your life? Like, what are you, what are you actually doing with your life? Like, do you, do you care? Like, do you actually, you know, do you genuinely care about life and do you, do you want to live here or do you like, do you want to be on this earth or do you, do you just accept it and, you know, stay unhappy and, and, you know, live your nine years and then, and then die at 34 or do you, um, you know, do you, do you fight back? And, um, I took the option and I fought back and I had, um, gastric sleeve surgery and I've, um, I've never looked back. I've, I've lost, um, 56 kilos in two years. Um, and my psychologist said that, um, I would, um, if I, um, so when I, in my head, John, I saw a skinnier version of myself. I saw a 90 kilo, um, 90 kilo guy that was, um, you know, that was, that was what I saw myself as, a, a you know, 90 kilos. I've, I've still got, um, still got a, a little bit to go. Um, and I'm working on that now with a nutritionist. So the, the first 56 fell off real, really quick with the operation, um, with just a change of, you know, diet and learning to re-eat. And, and I, um, I say this to anyone who is struggling with weight. Um, when you do go and get the operation, it is it's going to be the hardest five months of your life after you have the surgery. Like um, you've got to learn to eat again. You've got to you know you've virtually got to learn to eat 
um, like, like baby food. Um, you start and then you um, you virtually learn to virtually eat again and you eat smaller portions and and um, it's the hardest five months I've ever I've ever gone through and I and I questioned. I was questioning whether it was the right decision to do it, um, Jono, because um, I was always sick. Um, if I um, if I ate something too quick, I'd throw it straight back up. Um, I so basically I went from so all of all of um, you guys have got a one liter stomach, and I've gone from a a one liter stomach to a four hundred and fifty mil stomach. So um, half my stomach's gone now, and and um, so um, yeah, I had to learn how to eat again. Um, if I drank water too quick, um, I throw it back up. Um, I haven't had fizzy drink in two years. Um, I don't I don't drink fizzy drink anymore. I um, it's just every um, I think I had a sip of fizzy drink um, the first time a couple of weeks ago, and I threw straight. I threw it straight back up because it's just too sweet. I can't handle um, this and the um, the fizziness. I just it just doesn't doesn't go well. It brings up gases in my stomach, and um, yeah. So I, I haven't touched fizzy drink. Um, I can't have bread. Um, I don't. I don't eat bread. Bread because um, my stomach's so um, small now bread expands in your stomach and um it's just too painful to to eat so i haven't i haven't had bread in um two years um i don't miss bread pasta i can't eat a lot of pasta so um yeah it's been it's been a um it's been a challenge but it's been so rewarding too because um that's what's really changed my mindset as well and having a positive mindset was um losing the weight and and just being confident in myself and and um yeah just for the first time in for the first time in my life i'm actually confident and i've um i'm really um really happy with where my life's going and and i'm i'm genuinely happy with um life and and what life has to offer so yeah for me it's um it was the best decision i've ever made in my life having that surgery the correlation between the physical and mental health um, and the positive changes there adam was that immediate did you find or did that take a bit of time for your confidence to grow um, and i guess your, your perception of yourself to to improve uh, it, it took some time. So it, um, it did take some time to, to grow and, and, um, to be more confident in myself. And, um, and it's a, it's a funny thing. Like confidence is a, it can sometimes be, um, mistaken for arrogance and cockiness. And, um, and it's some people like John, I, I, I've lost a few friends out of the new me. Um, like I'm very aware of, um, I'm very connected to the universe now and I, I really believe in the universe and, and I really believe what you put out is what you get back. And, and um, so I've, I've lost a lot of friends because I had a radical change. Like I, I just, I was this positive person that um, I only looked at positive, like positivity and, and having, um, you know, um, looking always for the good and not the negative. And, and um, a few of my mates said, Oh, don't change too, too much. Like, you know, stay, be, you and stay you and and don't um you know don't don't change too much and i and i just went well no this is a new me either embrace who i am or don't be part of my life and and i've lost i've actually lost um a few friends but i i um i don't looking back at it looking back at it now john i i 
I don't actually call them mates. I, I call them acquaintances and also um, people that liked making fun of me, the old me and the new me, I don't let anyone make fun of me anymore. I'm, I'm very quick to, to know who, who are my friends, who are in my corner and who isn't in my, in my corner and who isn't in my life. So, um, yeah, I, I'm very aware of... Um, and I've only got a close inner circle now. I, I don't, um, yeah, I don't have a lot of people that are um, acquaintances anymore. I've, I've got, um, I know who my, who my true mates are and the ones who I can rely on. So yeah, it's, it's, it's taken a little bit of time to build that confidence, but um, yeah, as I said, mate, I'm, I'm just grateful for life now. I'm just so grateful. And so I embrace life now. I, I go out and live it and, and love it. So um, yeah, it's just been a total change. Adam, whilst you're living, you know, full steam ahead, positivity, looking ahead to the future and just, as you say, loving life, do you take the time to, pause and reflect on what has been a pretty amazing journey when you think back to the, the childhood and the struggles that you faced there your overseas travel um the podcast now but the, the near-death experiences in between do you deliberately stop and reflect on the journey to this point um it's a really good question and yes i've um i've started doing that with my mentor um a lot lately and it's actually leading me into um i'm actually going to write a book about my my life and that that'll be next year so um my book will will come out next year and it's um it's called um reborn twice and um so it's it's uh my life uh through fortitude and uh overcoming adversity and and that's that's the title of the book and and um yeah, I'm, I think there's going to be some confronting times whilst writing that book and, and I think um, that'll be the time to reflect, I think, of, of where I've been and, and where I'm going and, and I think um, I think it's going to be a cleansing process too. Like I really – I think it is going to be a cleansing process of um, really – um, looking back at, at my life and what I, you know, what I've been able to achieve, like I built a house with my brother as well. And, and, um, I recently sold that and, you know, like, um, yeah, it's, 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 it will be a, a time of reflection and, and, um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting question that you asked that. And yeah, I think, um, I think writing the book will going forward will be a, um, yeah, it'll be a really, uh, time to reflect on what I have achieved and how far I actually have come. And Adam, do you believe in life that we find or we create ourselves as people? Do you feel that the path is laid out for us and we just live it or that every decision we make every day shapes where we end up? Uh, I, I think it's every every um, decision we make shapes who we are and, and the, um, like, um, you've got to make your own opportunities in life. You've, you've got to create your own opportunities and, and um, you've got to, um, I listened to the podcast that you, when you had um, MG on and uh, Mark Iyer and, and, um, and he, you know, he said it himself that he took um, opportunities that, you know, he, um, when he retired, when he was like, well, what am I going to do next? And, and you know, like through his voice, um, you know, he's been able to provide for his family and, you know, and, and I really do believe that, that you, you do create your own opportunities in life and, and you're, um, you know, you, you've got to work hard at, at um, and every opportunity that you've, that you're given, um, you know, sometimes you might um you you say yes to everything i believe you do say yes to everything that you um because you never know 
um, who you'll meet or what, what door might open, you know, because of the saying yes. And, and um, yeah, I do really believe that we are the, we're the master of our own destiny. We, we really have, um, you know, the power to um, create our own journey. And, and um, you know, I want to, I want to look back at the end of my life and, and I want to, look back um, on my deathbed and, and go, I live my life to the fullest um, and no regrets. Um, and I don't want to look back on life and go, what could have been, you know, having, having six or seven people of me stand around my bed going, what if you did this? What if you did that? Um, what if you made this choice? And, and I don't want, I want to look back at the end of my life and go, no, you lived your life to the fullest. You got absolutely everything out of your life. And um, yeah, you, you, um, you achieve greatness in your life. And because I believe that every single person is put on this earth to make a difference and make impact. And, and um, even, even people who are bad, mate, that um, they're not born bad. They just make they just make choices that um, send them down a path of you know they, they take the wrong path and they're not 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 one person is bad in this world they they just um, they they make a choice and it's the wrong choice sometimes and um, yeah I really believe that we are the master of our own destiny. The True Blue History podcast. Adam continues to go from strength to strength as he shares more and more incredible stories. How do people listen to your episodes and stay in touch? Uh, so I've got a website, so truebluehistory.com, um, where people can get in contact with us. And um, the email is truebluehistory at gmail.com. Um, and it, it's it's great if um, they can follow my Instagram pages um, so they can uh, True Blue History is uh, our Instagram page and they can see all the upcoming episodes there um, and if they do want to reach out mate they can um, and suggest a, a topic I, I really um, I like hearing from my guests um, and also my listeners to um, recommend um, episodes like um, topics potential topics so it's um yeah they can get in contact with me there um and you can listen to the podcast on all um podcast platforms so apple Podcasts, stitcher youtube and spotify so that's how they can um listen to the um episodes and and um yeah if they want to contact me they can adam your positivity shines through and it's truly inspirational i just want to say a big big thank you for sharing your candid and powerful story on the Passion and Perspective podcast and wishing you all the best. Thanks, Jono. I, um, it's been a privilege and an honour, mate, to come on and, and um, I thank you for what you're doing, mate. It's, um, it's fantastic to... We've, we've got some amazing people that, um, who are inspiring that live um, in the mountains and also in the Penrith area. So, mate, thank you for what you do. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Passion and Perspective podcast. The Passion and Perspective podcast is made in loving memory of Katie Margaret Lees, who truly lived with passion and perspective.